Welcome to Farrington's Features, the school podcast where we talk to pupils, to staff and to parents to find out more about Farrington's school. In each episode, we'll be talking to members of the school community to hear more about life in the school. So let's get into this episode right now of Farrington's Features. In this first episode, we meet the head, David Jackson. We find out what drew Mr Jackson to Farrington School and how he feels about his first year. We talk about the benefits of an all-through school and look forward to the future, both of the school and of education in general. Let's meet head, David Jackson. Hello. Hello. Now, what led you to Farrington School? Well, a number of things. It was a, a point when I was starting to look at the, the next move. I was deputy head at another school in Ramsgate, so it was a, a, an obvious next step for me. I was contacted by the agency that was looking after the appointment, uh, and they mentioned that this, uh, this role had come up. Uh, so I explored the school in a little bit more detail. I didn't vaguely know of the school because my wife grew up in this area and my, my mother-in-law lives just down the road, but fortunately we get on really well, so that, um, <laughs> that, that wasn't something that was going to put me off. And uh, so I applied, and, and, and when I got to the school, I think the thing that struck me right from the very outset, which uh, had sort of come across from the website, was just how welcoming, how friendly a place it was. And, uh, and that was something that was really important uh, for me, because it wasn't just going to be a career move for me and, and, uh, and for, for my wife uh, changing schools, but it was also very likely to be the school that uh, our three girls were going to be going to as well. So it needed to fit on a number of levels. I think it really spoke to me because it was an all-through school, which was the school that I was at at the time, and, and I'd seen the real benefits of, of that, and, and I'm sure we'll come on to that again in, in, in due course. But it was also a school that had a great pastoral heart. It felt like a school that was very comfortable in its own skin, that, that knew what its strengths were, and, and that came across loud and clear on all of the visits that I had. And it was also a school uh, that was a mixture of day and boarding. Uh, and I was very clear in my mind that I wanted to be in a school that wasn't necessarily, you know, full boarding every pupil, but boarding was a recognisable feature of the school. And, uh, you know, I'd been a boarder myself and, and very much uh, felt comfortable selling the, the benefits of that. So it had always been clear in my mind that I wanted the, uh, to be at a school uh, where there were boarders uh, as part of the community. So lots of things. When I do a first episode of a podcast, I love to set the scene. So just tell me what, what was your vision? What did you see What was as you came into the school for the first time? Obviously a bit of nerves if you're coming for an interview, presumably. But what did you see? What greeted you? It's a really good question. What greeted me, as I said a moment ago, was just a school that I think had got, undergone quite a bit of change. It, you know, it was a school that was an all-girls school and had been until 2010 and had become a very successfully a co-educational school to the, to the point where we now have... Uh, slightly more boys in the school than we have girls, which is a remarkable story in a relatively short space of time. But I think it was a, a, a you know a school where whoever was going to be taking over was going to be taking over a school that was still sort of moving on from that transition that had happened, was sort of catching up in, in one or two senses that now being properly co-ed. I was in the end obviously appointed and was the, the school's first headmaster that never had a, a male head before me, which was you know, obviously a, a new thing as well. So I think it was it was a, a school that had also been perhaps if guilty of anything, of, of actually hiding its light under a bushel a little bit. And, and um, uh, very much I, I felt that actually there was so much that was... Uh, was going on at the school already, which was which was amazing, and actually I just felt there was a need for for people to know more uh, about it, both you know, sort of locally but also further afield. So I just felt it was a school where there was a huge amount of uh, sort of potential to to just get better and better, and that uh, that sort of view hasn't changed, and, and is very much sort of a, uh, the direction of travel now. 
So are you a Hogwarty type school? Do you do you look old and crusty or do you have new bits and old bits? What do you look like? I wouldn't say we're, we're Hogwarty, but certainly we are a school that's got a sort of blend of historical buildings on the one hand. So the school was founded in 1911, so there's quite a lot of history and, and, and tradition there. And actually that was something we celebrated last year when we uh, when we celebrated our 110th anniversary as a school. But equally, you've got the sort of blend of that, you know, contrasted with you know, a, a relatively new maths and science uh, block, which uh, was uh, was established in 2016, so not um, uh, not that old, and, and other, you know, modern facilities as well. So a, re- a real mixture, I would say. Um, but there are some Hogwarty bits to it. One of the things <laughs> I was, you know, I was keen on, there's a, there's a house system here, and, and uh, which was, you know, been in place for, for a long, long time. And uh, that was a part of the school that I was keen to make uh, an even sort of stronger recognisable feature of the school in terms of pupils feeling this real allegiance and loyalty to a, to a particular house. And we've done quite a lot of work on that in uh, over the past year and a half. We don't have a sorting hat, though, Tracy. I should, we should be clear <laughs> on that. That's, uh, that, that may be one for... Uh... <laughs> one for the future, yeah. Um, so you've been there now. Uh, it's a little over a year, isn't it? Sum it up for us. What, what, what changes have, have you seen? What do you feel comfortable with? What do you want to do next? I mean, I think it's it's fair to say, and a number of people that have said to me, "Blimey, what a time to join a school!" I've heard that once. I've heard it a hundred times. You know, joining in in September 2020, as I did right in the sort of midst of the of the pandemic, when we were still sort of getting to grips with it, both uh, you know in terms of our day to day lives, but also educationally. So it was a it was a real challenge actually in, in lots of ways that first year, most notably in terms of getting under the skin of the school on the one sense but part of that was getting to know the people in it and uh, and I felt that I got to know the the staff in the school really pretty quickly certainly by Christmas I felt I had a you know a pretty good knowledge and understanding of a you know a large proportion of the staff which was which was great um, the people slightly less so and, and then made all the more difficult by the fact that we went into lockdown again in the January of, of 2021 and so there was nobody in school again and so it, it took a longer time to really start to get to, to, to grips with the school than would have been the case had we been sort of operating in, in normal times. But I was trying very much to, to make sure that COVID didn't dominate every conversation, wasn't you know the focus of every meeting that we had. And actually, whilst we didn't want to sort of be implementing lots and lots of changes at a time when staff were, were trying to cope with you know unprecedented times, I was keen to make sure that we were at the same time looking ahead because it actually, apart from anything else, it meant that there was a a real sense of positivity as well. It was quite exciting talking about, you know, potential new plans and developments and, and so on. So that was that was really important too, to try and strike that right balance. So in terms of sort of real changes, there were two big ones in my, in my first year, which have sort of been implemented for this, uh, for this academic year. The first was, and they're related, I suppose, the first was a, a look at the structure of the working week. And we looked at the, the, the way in which the, uh, the, the lessons worked. We had an eight period day of 40 minutes. And I just felt that there was a lot of transit times from one lesson to the next. And, and in some cases, staff starting to really get into the, you know, the sort of crux of the lesson. And then it was time to, 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 to stop. And, and then they were getting up and moving moving around. And, and actually, there weren't any sort of times either factored in to, to allow for the fact that they would be going from one part of the campus to another. So mm-hmm. in actual fact, you know, there were times when actually the lessons weren't even 40 minutes, they were 35 minutes. And and, and, and so I felt that needed to change. So we, we went through a whole consultation process on it. And, and the outcome of that was that we moved to a six period day of 55 minute lessons. 
but within that, uh, there was a five-minute transit time factored in between periods one and two, three and four and five and six. And that, that's proven to be really successful, actually. I think there's, there's less dead time within the week. But the other thing that it allowed us to do, and this was the sort of uh, the second factor, was it allowed us to, to build into the, uh, the working week, not as an add-on, an, an extensive activities and enrichment programme, which we've called our Floriat programme, Floriat meaning to, to flourish. And it's been something that's been really, really well received by, by pupils, but also by, by parents, both current and prospective. And I suppose the rationale for that was, we, you know, we'd emerged from uh, the pandemic. We'd had lots of, you know, peoples who hadn't had an opportunity to interact with one another. And I think we very much pride ourselves on, on uh, not being an academic hothouse. You know, we, we are in, interested in making sure that every pupil fulfills their potential academically. But we're much more holistic in our view than that. And actually, my, my desire is to make sure that all of the peoples in the school are given lots of different opportunities to try new things and to find that thing that really ignites the fire in their belly. And I think that's something that the, the peoples have really enjoyed uh, doing. And uh, as a result, we've got a sort of programme of 50 activities also, ranging from sort of physical type ones, from scuba diving to rock climbing to archery to, to golf, uh, through to things like beekeeping and law society and uh, and so on. So a real, real range. You know, we've got our pupils who, who wander around uh, during the week and they've got their full beekeeping kit on and they're going to make Farrington sunny. So it's been, that, that's been amazing actually to, to have that within the, uh, within the week. And I think there's been really sort of positive initiatives within the school. That's a fairly humble thing to say. You've said, I've made a couple of changes. There's a huge <laughs> changes that you've made. How have you managed the, you know, so change management is a, is a huge element of, of a head that's coming in, I would think. How, what's your style? How do you manage that change? You need to bring people with you. That's absolutely true. Uh, I think my, my style and certainly this sort of emerged from when I did my, my master's in educational leadership, I, I, which I found a really rewarding process, um, which I, I went through. I did that from sort of 2016 to 2018. And one of obviously the things that you look at is what sort of style of leader are you? And, uh, and I think by, by nature, my, my default sitting is to be quite sort of uh, collaborative and consultative in, in, in approach. And I think that was very much a, um, an approach that in this particular instance works you know really well I think there was a inevitably when you you implement change as you're suggesting Tracy there's always a little bit of you know pushback and you know we've, we've done it this way before and, and actually you know what's the need for the change and so on so it wasn't something that I just sort of decided one week and it was sort of all agreed and signed off the next it, it actually took quite a period of, um, of weeks and months because you've got to to try and sort of look at what your vision and where, where you see the benefit of it, but actually, you know, getting that then into other people's minds and making them see it in the way that you do. And that, and sometimes that has to sort of wait until actually you've gone through with it and actually they, they're, they're living it and breathing it and then actually seeing it for themselves. And then, uh, and actually, you know, uh, there have been lots of, uh, of colleagues that you know, have, have come up to me and said how much they're enjoying the opportunity to share passions with the pupils, which they haven't had a chance to do before. Uh, and for pupils to be seeing them with a different hat on, so that so the maths teacher who's also a beekeeper, they might not never have necessarily known that. And I and I think that's one of our strengths as a school is the fact that we we pride ourselves in in a knowing the pupils really really well, but b uh, having really positive relationships with the children. And I think part of that, if they see a colleague in a in a completely different environment in a different sort of context. It makes a huge difference when they go back into a classroom setting to have, have sort of broken down some some barriers. And we know that you know relationships between teachers and pupils has a really big impact on progress. 
a new level of respect as well, perhaps. And Absolutely. Trust, which is Absolutely. important. Yeah. We, we touched on it slightly, the, the benefits of an all-through school. Tell me what you see are the benefits and advantages. Yeah, I think there are there are a number really, and, and as I said earlier on, that was that was one of the things that attracted me to the school. My you know my oldest two children had had moved from year six into year seven at their previous school, which was a three to eighteen school as well. And I think the the benefit was that actually there wasn't this stress within year six about eleven plus or about the you know moving to a completely different school with a different set of routines, teachers, a new environment, and a new set of facilities to get their head head round, the, the, the transition was unbelievably smooth. And that was down in, in large part to the fact that there was real cohesion between the junior school and the senior school, which is exactly the same as what exists here. So they, they moved into, into year seven and, and, and our youngest is about to do the same in, in September. And she's not apprehensive really at all about the, the move into year seven because she's, partly because she's seen her two older sisters do it, but, but also because actually she's, she sort of knows what to, what to expect really. I think the other thing is that the there is the benefit, isn't there, of if you're in a, an all-through school of uh, having access to senior school facilities lower down, which you might not have if you were in a standalone sort of school that went up to, to, to 11 or to, or to 13. So access to sports, sports halls, indoor swimming pools. Uh, conversely, uh, senior school teaching staff are coming down and teaching their particular subject specialisms within the, within the junior school. So I think that the, the benefits are significant, and, and um, you know, and there are a number of them. And so I would, having not experienced that and all through school before 2014, I'm, I'm absolutely sold on it. I have to say. I suppose the only disadvantage could be that if you if you haven't flourished particularly well in a school, that you, you're thinking I'm stuck here forever. And sometimes that transition can be quite exciting, can't it? Although it's daunting, it can be an exciting time. How do you make that transition? as exciting, if you like, the sort of going somewhere new and starting with new friends. How, how do you counter that? No, I think that's absolutely fair and valid. And, and I think one of the things that we, we do is try to give them some exposure to, to what senior school life would be like, you know, through taster events and things that we organise within, within the senior school. I think the other challenge, of course, is that if you've had a child that's been at the school from the age of three or four, you know, by the time they get to the age of 16, in some cases, actually, and understandably, they've actually, they're, they're ready, for a, ready for a change. They've been at the school for, for, for a long time. But, you know, for all of those, we have equally, you know, a good number in our, in our current upper sixth, our, our year 13 pupils who did start at that age, and they've just got Farringtons in their blood and they wouldn't want to be anywhere else. So no, you're absolutely right. I think there is a need for, for, for that. And, and it's true that, you know, whilst they are familiar with where the dining room is and, and a number of the teachers and how to get, you know, get around the site. The truth is that, you know, year seven does feel quite different to year six. Suddenly we've, they, they move from being, you know, in a, in a year group with two forms to one with four forms. They're mixing with people who are coming into the school from, from outside that they don't know. It's an opportunity to sort of, you know, particularly as you say, Tracy, for those people who perhaps aren't necessarily quite so settled or, or, or whatever, to actually see it as a, as a chance to reset and to, and to form new new friendships with people that, you know, they haven't met before. So uh, I think it can still be very exciting, yet at the same time, providing that sort of familiarity, which can be reassuring when you're, when you're 11 and moving to a bigger school. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you weren't 11, but you did make a move. You moved <laughs> from the seaside to the leafy suburbs of Chislehurst. What did that feel like? That's a good question. I think we, we miss certain aspects of living right by the sea. Certainly the walks along the, the, the sandy beaches in southeast Kent and in, in Thanet, uh, we miss that. We certainly miss 
the quality of the light, which might sound an odd thing to say, but it was just an extraordinary uh, place at times to, to walk around. So that's probably the, the things that we that we miss. Equally, we, we are very much loving the fact that Chislehurst is a leafy suburb, as, as you say, and, you know, we're surrounded by woodland. We we were one of the families that uh, invested in a, in a lockdown puppy. We got a, a cockapoo called Orla. She's now very much part of the family. We can't imagine her not being with us nowadays, to be honest. And, you know, we're surrounded by woodland, Scabbery Nature Reserve, Hawkwood. There's, there's so much on our doorstep, which is which is amazing for, um, for, for sort of family walks with the, with the dog. And also proximity to London. And although we haven't had quite the chances yet to benefit from from only being sort of 25 minutes from, from, from Charing Cross in terms of getting up to, up to town and taking in a show or, or whatever as much as we thought we might... Things are starting to, to happen and, and actually it's lovely having that on your doorstep and yet not feeling that you are in a big city because I'm not, if truth be told, a real city person. I, I've always sort of lived in more rural locations. So, uh, And I suppose the biggest culture shock for me has been has been the traffic. You know, there's far more more cars around and sometimes I think, blimey, I could cycle this more quickly than, uh, uh, <laughs> than it's taking in a car. But yeah, the, the, so some obvious changes. Yeah. And your children are at the school? Is is that good, bad, or indifferent? <laughs> <laughs> In many ways, it's it's been fantastic, actually, and and uh, it's a question I quite often get asked. Certainly, it's a very reassuring thing for prospective parents when when I tell them that my children are within the school because they, on the one hand, can see that actually, if it's you know if it's good enough for the for the head, I suppose, is that sense that actually you know he, he obviously is, really feels that it's a, it's a good school for his own children to 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 go to, but also they know that I've got a real vested interest in making sure that the, the school continues to to improve. So I think that's that's one sort of side of it. I suppose our children have, have, have always been used to pretty much since ever, you know, they sort of started at school. Both me and, and my wife Fiona have both taught at uh, our previous schools. So they've been very used to, to, to mum and dad being in the school where, where they are. But it does take on a slightly different dimension when you take over a school as, as head, that's, that's for sure. And I think they're a little bit apprehensive about that, particularly because... We were in a sort of, sort of the period of the pandemic and then having to go online and they didn't know, you know, people quite so, so well. There's always that occasion when, you know, other pupils within the school will, you know, if they want to sort of uh, get a message through to me, can you can you just mention to your dad that? So you get, yeah. get a little bit of that. And I think that initially they were probably quite conscious of the fact, perhaps our older two more than the younger one who was in the junior school that their dad was the head and, and they might be sort of seen slightly differently and sort of a hold to higher higher account than others and, and all of those sorts of things. So it, it can have its challenges. But I'm really pleased to say they're very different as, uh, as girls. They've settled in really well and, and I, I can't commend the staff here highly enough for the way in which that they've sort of um, been sensitive to, to that dynamic as well. I guess I should have asked them the question really rather than you. <laughs> we might do that. <laughs> now, the future. What's going to happen next? You've dropped two bombshells. <laughs> What's for the next five years? Yeah, there's been a bit, a bit more consolidation uh, this year. We wanted to see, you know, two, as you, as you say, quite big uh, initiatives to properly bed in. And we've been doing quite a lot of reviewing of, of that over the past, uh, past year. But I've equally over the past year written the school's new strategic development plan that the previous one sort of finished uh, in 2022. And what was lovely about that was that there was, you know, despite some of the challenges of the last couple of years, particularly so much of that, you know, was achieved, which is which is great. So that, that strategic development plan has uh, has been written and, and is, is exciting. It's been a really lovely document to, to, to work on. It's called Farrington's Towards 2030. It's uh, talked through with, uh, with governors and, and lots of sort of feedback 
so from conversations from parents through to you know lots and lots of discussions with my senior team and then and obviously with with staff and and, and and conversations with pupils so all of that sort of went into uh, into the into the mix i think there was a, a, a number of things to say i mean the obvious uh, sort of uh, exciting plans and aspirations for the future uh, would firstly be around capital development uh, and one of the big initiatives or plans that we'd really like to see through which actually was was, was something that had been discussed prior to, to, to my arrival at the school is a new performing arts centre and I think that's probably the biggest thing that we would really like to, to move forward with. A bit of a challenge in, in the area in which we are where you've got greenbelt land and proximity to, to protected woodlands so there's quite a lot of hurdles for us to to get over but I think the the educational need is there I think the school has grown and grown and actually there is now a, a need for a, a space of um, um, where we can get the whole school together but also to really help our performing uh, arts to really flourish the appetite is there the enthusiasm the skill is there within the uh, within that department and they just want to get get on with it and I really want to help them to to, to do that but I think there's also there will be a community benefit of having that sort of space as well for, for people outside of, of Farrington's within the local community to be able to make good use of as well. So, so that's one um, probably sort of really big project that we've got in, we've got in mind. Another is the, the building of, a, uh, of an AstroTurf. Um, we're, we're really lucky to, to share across the road from the school the Queen Mary's University Sports Ground, which is a fantastic facility, which is a very mutually beneficial arrangement because the times that we need it are not the times that the university needs it so uh, it works really well but I think we'd love to have an astroturf for football is a huge sport within the within the school uh, both for boys and for girls and we're enjoying a huge amount of success with both genders which has been great but I think there are limitations at the moment in terms of our ability to train particularly from sort of October through to, to February March time when it gets dark and, and we muddy don't have times. a floodlit space and yeah. muddy and all of those things so I think it would be in terms of driving that forward to the next level we would really like to have that uh, that facility so we're just looking at uh, at different options available to us with regards to that aside from that I think you know one of the things that I've, I've talked about quite a lot at, at open days and so on we've seen as I said very early on Trace is a very pastorally minded school, a very nurturing, very supportive school. We have a broad ability range of pupils at the school. And I think, perhaps understandably, I think as a result of that, we're seen as a school that maybe isn't as academically challenging. And I think that's a that's a perception that I've wanted to, to work really hard to, to, to change without sort of fundamentally altering the, the ethos of the school or, or trying to turn us into a school that we're not. Uh, I've wanted to, to sort of get out, get out there that actually for me, and I think more and more parents are of a similar mind, that actually we have the the, um, um, the capacity to stretch every pupil within the school, you know, both at the, the very high end and those who need uh, more support. And actually what will impact on whether they achieve their full potential actually will be how uh, how happy they are in school, how well supported they they are, how well known they are. That relationships going back to that for for a moment, those relationships that they have with their their teachers. It's not necessarily the case that they have to be in in a more sort of academically competitive environment in order to 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 achieve. And that's that's something that I've been uh, a drum I've been banging quite loudly pretty much since the day I arrived, and and will continue to to, to bang as well. And, and I think lots of parents can see that and, and have sort of got friends who've got children in the school 
who are you know benefiting from that as well and word of mouth is so so important of course sometimes it's i think it's just about people believing in the children isn't it it is and actually you know very often uh, parents understandably can be you know really interested in your 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 a-level grades and you know university out destinations and and all of those things of course are, are really important but one of the things actually we we really pride ourselves on is actually the, the, the value-added data that we that we have. You know, the, the baseline scores that they have when they come into the school and actually what that would predict them to get at GCSE and actually the, the evidence that we have that shows that, you know, uh, almost without exception, they, they far exceed what those initial baseline scores would have suggested they would that they would get. And that's a for me, that's really powerful in terms of um, in terms of data. But sometimes it takes a little bit more sort of persuading and convincing for, for parents to sort of see the value of that. And it's a fast changing world, isn't it? I mean, you know, sort of however many years ago when I was at school, I was expected to have one career. Now things are changing completely. You're setting up young people to maybe have four, five, six, seven careers, aren't you? Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. And and, and funnily, you, you should mention that one of the, the other things I didn't mention that we've we've um, we've implemented, aside from having a, a head of well-being, which we felt was a, a really important new role within within school was also a head of careers who is leading our Farrington's Futures. So we, we like alliteration in um, uh, at Farrington's. Yeah, Floriat and Farrington's Futures and Flourish at Farrington's. All of those sorts of Fs feature quite, um, uh, quite highly. In a nice um, way. In a nice way, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I should be careful what I say. And yeah, she's, she's been great, our, our new head of careers, uh, in terms of just getting pupils at a younger age to start thinking about life beyond school and not solely about higher education and university destinations mm-hmm. but actually you know what career path they they or paths they may wish to, to look at and uh, and apprenticeships has been a, a sort of feature of uh, of that which i think is a um something that increasingly schools should be sort of um, not poo-pooing but actually taking taking seriously i think and that's uh, something that we've uh, we've worked hard on we've set up work experience for our year 10s and our year 12s which i think is, has been really well received and I think it's something that schools, you know, think they do do quite well. And I'm sure in some cases they do. But in other cases, I think probably there can be a, if truth be told, a bit of a, a tendency to slightly pay lip service to it. And I think that's something we're really trying to, but precisely for the reasons that you state, which is that, you know, I've been in education. I've not been in anything else other than education. But I don't think that will necessarily be the case for for my own children. I think, mm. and, and as part of that, really keen to to make sure that we're not just cramming their heads full of of content in order for them to get through uh, exams and, and and out the other side, but also that we're you know we're focusing on skills and and, and when I say skills, I mean soft skills as as well in terms of their ability to work in a team, their ability to to relate to one another, to show empathy, emotional intelligence, to be able to stand up in front of others and and, uh, and, and speak, to be able to, to sort of debate and to check. All of those sorts of interpersonal skills, which, you know, uh, I think it was somebody said to me, you know, the, the, the grades will get you perhaps through the door for an interview, but it will be actually how you, you come across once you get into that room, which will be the thing that really, really persuades people. So we're, we're, we're focusing quite a lot on that. We just mean through the pandemic when obviously we talked about teaching going online. Where do you see the future? Do you do you think education will go back solely to the classroom? Will we see more mixture of online and in classroom? I, I certainly hope it doesn't go completely to online. And I say that partly as a, as a languages teacher, first and foremost. I think, you know, for me, the, the idea of, of us, you know, solely going to a situation where we were we were teaching everything through, through screens uh, fills me with horror. But equally, uh, I think we can all recognise that there have been things that we have learned over the past 
two years and at a rate that we would never have believed possible, you know, if we go back to sort of 2019, in terms of what we've we've learnt to um, uh, to be able to do and, and different ways of, of, of operating. And so I don't think we'll ever go back to exactly where, where we were. Our use of of, of Microsoft Teams for us has been, you know, in lots of ways tran- transformational in terms of, uh, uh, and it has enabled us to continue to to sort of work with people who've not been, you know, been in school and not necessarily just through through COVID to be able to remain connected, you know, yeah. with the school and, and engage with their learning in a way which was, if you know, if you were off, you might get sent something through the post two days later, but it's it wasn't done in real time in quite the, way, the, the quite the same way. So. I, I certainly am not of a um, of the sort of mindset that actually we can sort of move away from from actually having sort of face to face teaching. I think that's for me that's absolutely uh, fundamental. But I think we need to continue to to embrace the the technological you know changes that we've seen and benefits of it at the same time. Wonderful. Well, it's been a huge pleasure and a delight to talk to you today about Farrington School. Uh, I almost want to, to join in now. I'm just I'm so annoyed that I'm just that little bit too old to come and to join in your extracurricular activities you're planning. And, uh, and very good luck with uh, the building soon of uh, your new performance facilities. I, I imagine a slightly sort of globe-like theatre in the woodland. How does that seem? That sounds amazing. I hadn't realised you'd seen the plans. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. It's been a real real pleasure. My first ever podcast. So I really enjoyed uh, speaking to you this, uh, this morning. That's it for this episode. To find out more, check out the school website, farringtons.org.uk. Now, the next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.